Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Scott Luton right here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to this episode. Really excited about this episode. We're going to be diving into supply chain, risk management, and a lot more leadership with someone from the aerospace industry, someone who's been doing it for quite some time. Uh, we're going to really work hard to raise your business leadership and supply chain IQ right here today. So stay tuned for what's going to be an intriguing and very informative conversation. A quick programming note. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to find Supply Chain Now and subscribe so you don't miss any conversations just like this one here. Um, all right. So I want to welcome in our guests here today. I really enjoyed our pre-show conversations, uh, wide ranging. Uh, I'm telling you, y'all are in store for a lot of learnings here and, and some very helpful best practices. Ingrid Sampson, Director, Subcontract Program Management at Lockheed Martin. Ingrid, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is in your neck of the woods. Good to see you. Good to see you also, Scott. So really enjoyed our our kind of our pre-interview call. Uh, I'll tell you, we need about six hours uh, to, to really get all your perspective out. But we've got about an hour today, and I'm really excited to learn more about you and share your perspective with our, our global community. So before we get to the heavy lifting, let's get to know Ingrid Sampson a little bit better. So tell us, where did you grow up and, and, and give us some anecdotes from your upbringing? So um, the cool thing is I grew up in LA and having um, uh, come from Georgia uh, and I have to differentiate not lower Alabama, but Los Angeles. <laughs> and um, so I was a, a child in the seventies and was able to roam around freely. My mom gave me all the independence in the world. And so um, I grew up just exploring um, and at seven, I traveled for the first time and I've been traveling ever since, right? So this sense of I can get on my bike and ride anywhere, I can get on a plane and go places um, at a young age was um, part of my DNA and one that, you know, well, did well in my career itself and having traveled all over the world for, for Lockheed Martin. So it sounds like your parents and, and specifically your mother really encouraged you to get out there and, and kind of experience things. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I mentioned mom, but my dad worked for Lockheed. So I'm a second generation Lockheedian and um, he bought like I'm doing now. And, um, and so he encouraged me to start at Lockheed, but to explore different things. So I did leave for a bit and do some sales and, you know, kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and sold um, commercial car products related to purchasing, and then came back to Lockheed Martin. Okay, is that pretty common for uh, the the company to have second and third generation family members come oh my be a gosh, part? Yes, it's common to have people with over 25, 30, 40 years. Just celebrated a 40 year anniversary. One of my employees the other day, and he's not the only one on my team. <laughs> um, and to have second and third generations, it's it's very common. And then. I've got um, people on my team whose children also work at Lockheed right now, right? You got two generations working at the same time. So yeah, very common, very so common. We're going to be talking about some of your um, positions as part of your journey to help shape your world worldview in just a second. But you know, I imagine you know, when, when, I, when I talk with organizational leaders that have that great advantage 
uh, of, of tenure, right, within the workforce at these great you know, big companies, that tends to be a double-edged sword, right? Because from a cultural standpoint and the fam- kind of that family and the values, it's there and the continuity and, and other things. But on the flip side, I would imagine, I'd love to get your take, does it kind of, um, just on a human level, you know, kind of how we've always done it is probably part of what's between the ears. Can you speak to that for a second? Yeah. And I mean, the reality is changing. Um, the employee I was talking to yesterday, 25 years, another one, 40 years, and I've got 26 years of Lockheed Martin. Um, and I left for seven. And it was common to come and stay with a company or stay with a corporation for a long time. The reality is it's different. And we're feeling it in the workforce now where I have a pension. Those coming behind me right now don't have a pension. Mm. So um, there's a different frame of mind, right, where they're chasing salary. They're chasing the money because the pension isn't there and have to build it themselves. Um, Although we've got programs um, that the company does matching, it doesn't compare, you know, to a pension. So times have changed. And so you're not going to see people stay um, with one company as long. Now, what we are seeing, and it goes for the just pure size and the complexity of the products we offer is within Lockheed Martin, people are moving from one business area to the other, right? They're staying with Lockheed Martin. They're going from airplanes to helicopters, to missiles, you know, to trainers, to there's just this wide array of products that you can stay within the corporation and move around. And that's really our preference, right? Rather than losing that talent and having to start over. But we also know the Lockheed talent is valuable to the right, Especially that well-rounded element that you're kind of spoke to earlier. So love that. Um, Okay. So let's talk about, you know, you, you just, I think you just said 26 years with Lockheed Martin. You've got seven um, maybe outside the company. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about um, roles, positions, certain stops in your journey that really helped shape your world, worldview, Ingrid. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think starting at Lockheed at a young age out of college, um, the sheer responsibility we have. I mean, as a buyer, I was responsible for millions of dollars. And I was part of the team that won the YF-22. That was the highlight of my career. That's the one of the coolest aircrafts. I even say second to the F-35. I love the F-22. I agree oh, with I you. I grew up on it. Uh, I agree with you. As, a, as an Air Force veteran and a big nerd of, of military aircraft, <laughs> I wish we had 2,000 or 10,000 F-22s. I think it's a, a gorgeous and incredibly capable aircraft. It is. And the performance, and I remember being there on the first flight and having been a buyer, and I'm looking at you know, my components on that on, air, on that aircraft, I had the transparency, I had all the lights, I had the hydraulics, I had all these pieces, right? This is my plane. That's awesome. And that plane took off that first day. It was like such a proud moment. So when you talk about highlights of your career, but I'll never forget the um, landing gear didn't come up when the plane went up. I'm going, oh my God, what's wrong? <laughs> right? That's my part. What happened? And I'm looking at the engineers and they're all going, you know, <laughs> and they came down safely, of course, but it was just, the ownership that comes with the type of roles and responsibilities that we have. Um, I had the pleasure of starting up the P3 line. P3 aircraft's been around for a long time, many generations, and we were extending the life of the aircraft, building new wings, old technology in the midst of new technology. Think about the challenges that went with that. Um, I had the pleasure of working in ethics 
I was the ethics um, director for aeronautics for two years. And you talk about seeing a different side of the business, right? Things people do, how the company reacts, managing risk. It was just, it really rounded up my experience really well. So if I can ask you a quick follow-up question really quick, Ingrid, um, I think perhaps many of our listeners, much like I, when I hear the word ethics, I bet we have no sense of what that leadership role, what, what you you know what you had, what you did to to fulfill it. Can you can you just shed a little more light on on what some of the things you did in that ethics role? So here we call it ethics and business conduct. Um, and our value statement is do what's right, respect others, and perform with excellence. Eight words. How simple can that go? And so our business conduct is around those eight words. And so we have what we call investigations like any other ethics department, but we also have where we do just counseling, someone wanting to know how to handle situations, you know, or true investigations. And I'll tell you coming into the role without an ethics background, I was taking ethics courses, getting training, right? There's certifications that go with it. Mm. There's people that come up through security and investigations and FBI and attorneys. And, you know, it's a well-rounded, um, area and field of people with different backgrounds, but you're handling and addressing all kinds of situations. It's not just, you know, performance, it's leader, individual performance, it's leadership performance. Did they perform? Did they react to situations? It's leaders being investigated. Hmm. It's individual contributors. And think about it. We do manufacturing and um, a represented employee, you know, sometimes handles things differently than uh, a salary employee. So the dynamics that go with this, what do you report to the corporation? What does the corporation report to the outside world when it comes time to um, reporting performance? It's, it's huge. It's a really, really interesting world, but one where people are looking for immediate response and everybody knows what they want, right? We want you to find them guilty. We want them to be terminated. And that's not always the case. Wow. So it was very interesting. I've got such a big blind spot in in that uh, that corporate definition of ethics. So uh, I bet you could write a book on some things you've seen. Truly. Um, but let's keep, you know, you were kind of answering, you know, some of those positions that really helped shape your worldview in this journey. Anything else you want to add before we kind of talk about what you're up to now? So having grown up in aeronautics, doing airplanes, um, and then coming here to um, training logistics and solutions, TLS, it, I never thought about, you know, how are the, well, the warfighters, you know, how are they trained? So building aircraft, you deliver them to your customer, you're like, okay, great. Well, this side of the world enabled me to be able to understand, well, how are they trained? The maintainers, the pilots, you know, and it's just as simple things as their pilot suits on the F-35, right? The pilot suit and the helmet. There to each, every single thing to each pilot, getting to that level of detail and recognizing training saves lives, right? You don't have to train in an aircraft that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You can train in a simulator and it's grades of, of um, training that they'll go through, what we call um, just at a, a computer terminal using iPads, right? And grading up to you're going to a simulator, a full motion simulator that gives you the full, like you're sitting in an aircraft, those type of things. I never thought before coming into this role. And how exciting is that, all right? Simulators and futuristic and training and lasers. And it's, it's just exciting <laughs> stuff. So I've enjoyed it. I agree with you, man. Um, all right. So let's. One of the questions we like asking folks um, 
is that eureka moment. We have we have plenty of them. And these days we might have one a day, I tell you. But what when you look back at your journey thus far, what's been a really powerful eureka moment that you've had? Um, I think it was when I got it, um, became interested in leadership and moving from um, individual contributor or buyer into leadership. And it wasn't just the, I want to be a leader. It's really about having the support to go into leadership, right? And so you hear people talk about mentor, sponsors, and champion, the importance of that champion to move along in your career. And one of the aha moments, and you're going to laugh at this, but it's a true story, um, interviewing for a director role. Um, and it was not my best interview. Everybody was late. Um, you know, just all these things that when you're all prepared and everything's supposed to go correct, everything went wrong. And it was not my best interview. And I left there going, oh my God, this is just horrible. There's no way I'm getting this job. But my champion was also in that room and he knew what I was capable of, although it wasn't the best interview. And so I, I got the job and he gave me feedback as to, you know, what I'd done wrong, which I already knew because it was not the best interview, but it just um, helped me, you know, as a leader, being a mentor to people, but also being champions and sponsors of individuals, how important it is to the trajectory of your career. I love that. I'm not laughing at all. I think, um, I think sometimes we as leaders and, and as maybe hiring managers or, um, you know, you, you name it across the spectrum, we might let that last interaction have carry way too much weight and not look at the potential that folks yes. bring to the table. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Also, you know, on your email, you've got a great quote because I think about leadership, uh, not waiting for others to do, we do. And so you've got a great quote here from Barack Obama, uh, President Barack Obama, uh, quote, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for we are the change that we seek, end quote. Why is that so important to you? That's important to me because in this environment where um, diversity and inclusion is so important, right? People want to not only be included, but, you know, an offer to seat at the table. And when they're sitting at the table, they want their voice to be heard. And so um, as a leader in making sure that that is truly represented in what I do and say, but also in my team is very important. Um, and there's you know, numerous studies out there that are referencing and have proven the power of diversity and the performance of a team. And so to walk the walk and talk to talk is very important to me. And so if I go back to mentoring, champion and sponsoring, you know, and mentoring, championing, and sponsoring of people who look like me and who don't look like me is very important. And that my team is representative of the community of which we live is very important to me. Wonderful. And we're going to talk more about that here momentarily. I uh, appreciate your your comments there. So let's, um, for you know, we'll have some folks, uh, you know, clearly you and I are no Lockheed Martin very well. And of course, F-22 and F-35. And um, I wish we had a snapshot of when that first F-22 took off, as you were describing, because that I, I, I can only imagine the immense pride that you and, and really the whole team took in that um, and, and and how those those uh, aircraft are used, um, you know, to, to protect the country and project force and, and really project freedom uh, globally, not to be too dramatic, but uh, that's, mm. what I, that's what I believe. Um, so let, let's talk about you know, what do you do at Lockheed as a director of subcontract program management at Lockheed Martin? What do you do? 
So um, in the business of TLS, Training Logistic Solutions, I'm responsible for, for all the procurement we do for all of our products and services. So when you're talking about a million and a half to $2 million, billion, excuse me, billion spent annually, right? Um, it's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. So Ingrid, uh, you just were talking about the massive responsibility you have, uh, billions of dollars, goodness gracious, in your role at Lockheed Martin. But what is your... Um, you know, what's your favorite aspect to your role? What, what's what's that favorite part that you, you're, you're able to do, you know, week in, week out, day in, day out, what have you? So it's two things. One is the people building this this team of just stellar performance. Um, and two, the impact we have on the business. The reality is we purchase about 70% of everything that we sell. And so with that comes a huge responsibility. And the thought that, um, I contribute to the profit and loss of that business, right, of my business by how we perform is so important to me. And I'll tell you to my team, they know my number one priority after people is that we perform and that we always perform and meet the customer requirements. And we're never the reason that something doesn't, you know, meet a customer's requirements or doesn't deliver or doesn't work. You know, it's just important Um, that we always perform. And last year, on top of COVID, the pandemic, telecommuting, everybody going home on March 18th, we had seven months of no rights of contractors. So when you talk about performance, in the midst of the hardest time of my whole career, we were able to perform because of the things that we do on a daily basis and looking forward, managing risk, understanding risk, those things. Um, And so the performance and contribution to the business success is super important to me. Mm, I appreciate you sharing. And, and and really, when teams perform, that's when we're able to offer uh, opportunities above and beyond, right? Truly, yeah. truly. Um, all right. So I want to shift gears now. Um, let, let's talk. You were talking earlier, you know, diversity and inclusion. Uh, clearly, you've got a long track record of, of very successfully building diverse teams that do perform, right? Because and, and clearly, like you just stated, People come first and performance is a close second. So I love that. But if you could offer some best practices from your uh, experience in building truly successful, diverse teams, what would you share with with our audience here about that? For me, um, it's not only diversifying the people and look at skin color, but experience. So a supply chain team to me that's made of just supply chain, you're limiting your ability to manage your risk and manage your own problems. So on my team, we've got attorneys, we've got engineers, we've got quality personnel, um, we've got true supply chain degree individuals. My my degree is in psychology, right? So you can't tell me someone in a different degree can't perform in this role, but it enables me to you know see things differently and be able to relate to people, maybe in ways that other leaders aren't able to do it. So to me, a truly diverse and experience and background makes us even stronger as a team um, versus building and from and building internally, right? So building external as, as well as internal talent um, just helps us perform in total. If you had to pick one of the, the regular challenges um, in, in your journey of, of building you know, diverse teams that perform, what, what, what comes to mind? And, 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 can you offer any, because I bet other folks, other leaders that are tuned in probably experience that. How, how you know, what's the biggest, one of the biggest challenges and how, how did you overcome that? 
One of the biggest challenges is, I think, coming into a group where their their philosophy was hiring within and bringing in individuals, bringing in friends of, of theirs, um, bringing in, you know, the kids that they knew growing up, you know, and being very limited in the talent that we were seeking. Um, and so to the team, um, what I did early on was identify what were our challenges, right? Some of them was uh, contracts aligning with the prime contract. Um, some of them were risk. Um, these things that were hindering our ability to perform and then start filling in with people who had those experiences just made us stronger. But it was first getting people to recognize what the challenges were. You know, they're like, we're doing great, right? But when you've got mission success milestones, which means these are reported to the corporate, which are reported to the board, you can't miss those by, you know, it's got to be something just exuberant um, that's unrecoverable. And so in picking up what our challenges were, filling it with individuals with those experiences, I think it just made it stronger. I love that. Having to buy into that because they're used to hiring the neighbor and the, you know, and other people that they knew and they've seen them grow up and friends that were out of a job. So I'm going, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't make us stronger, right? Makes you happier, but it doesn't make us stronger. Right. Um, and once they bought into it and they saw how well we could perform and that we could manage our risk versus realizing our risk, um, the buy-in from there has been monumental. And I've gotten a couple of comments when going through um, performance reviews and they're like, wow, I never thought about approaching the problem like this, right? And then partnering with the functions, right, um, that impact our ability to perform because you think about supply chain, it's a capture it's closing the capture. It's the um, identifying what um, bill of material or planning goes with that. It's, you know, all these things. And then they say, okay, now go buy it. The technical requirements. And so we're the, at the last of the totem pole, but at this point, all the pressure is on us to perform. And so we started partnering with those functions that were hindering our ability to perform engineering. Um, contracts, capture, you know, I've got someone on the capture team now. And so those things um, for any leader, I think understanding what your challenges are and then going about uh, mitigating the challenge and making it a strength is what um, has enabled us to perform. Love that. And being candid and honest with yourself about that. You know, you were kind of talking earlier about that frank assessment of the current environment and and you can't, you can't wear rose colored glasses. That doesn't help anybody. Not uh, at so. all. I really appreciate that. Customers looking at you like, wait, wait, this doesn't meet our needs or this is late or, you know, that's just not good. So, you know, from where, at least my, my opinion here, you know, risk management for years now has, has been, has been added, you know, given a seat at the table and we see companies hiring, you know, chief risk management officers, chief risk officers and whatnot. And then of course the pandemic has really, uh, there's been a lot of risk in, in the collective blind spots of industry. So, There'll be a lot of doubling and tripling down of how do we effectively, you know, um, put in place our risk management strategy and, and then and then actively and successfully manage that. And I know, you know, from our earlier calls, this is a, an area of passion and true expertise for you. So if you, you know, if you were to offer a couple best practices and suggestions around, you know, effective and successful risk, risk management for our listeners here, what would that be, Ingrid? So um, I know for us during, it's two things. For us during the capture phase, we identify risk, right? So we're going after this business 
here are the risks associated with um, taking on this business. And we've got to not only once we identify the risk, delve into it further to how do we mitigate that risk versus realizing it. In supply chain, there's all kinds of tools people, companies have created, and they're like, oh, you know, you can use this tool, it's going to create an algorithm. You know, that's good to a point, because an algorithm, I can look at um, companies D and B and see that they're in financial trouble, right? I can look at um, weather patterns and see, you know, I've got companies in um, harm's way in California miss the fires. Um, I can see I've got suppliers in India in the midst of the pandemic. You know, I can see those things, but how do I look forward enough to know that if anything do happen in these areas that we can perform? And so um, the other part of this, once you understand the risk, is how do you mitigate it? And sometimes you've got to invest in mitigating that risk. It's just not, you know, I can add two people instead of one. I can go sit at a supplier and just micromanage them. Um, sometimes some investment is necessary where it's getting materials ahead of time. Um, it's investing in a technology that will improve probability of success. There's things that we've got to do to um, make sure we mitigate the risk. And so um, my opinion, and it's very simple, having been in supply chain for so long, a lot of people say, oh, we look 30 days ahead. I'm like, no, we look 60 and 90 days ahead. That's what we were doing before the pandemic. And that's not just calling a supplier saying, hey, how's it going? They're like, oh, it's fine. We're going to deliver. No, I want to know what of the bill of material you perceived, what's still outstanding, when is it coming in, what's the status of it? You know, you got to go to that level of detail. But in the midst of the pandemic and the import and export and shipping, we're seeing all kind of other variables now be introduced. Um, although they were there, they're heightened now. Um, we've got to understand, you know, what are the alternatives to shipping on water? I've been in a place on um, on the F-22 program back in the day, in aeronautics, actually on C-130 program, where one of our suppliers was on a strike, right? So they were completing parts literally the day that they needed to be installed. And we have done all the workarounds we can. We were putting them on a, a C-5 aircraft and flying them in the same day. Right. So those aren't the best case scenarios and something you don't want to have to do all the time, but you have to look at work. Can you mitigate that risk? And so 30, 60, 90 is our normal rhythm. Right now, my team is looking six months ahead, six months to say, you know, when do you have everything you need? If you don't, where are they? When is it coming forward? What can we do to help you? We're utilizing some of our purchasing power. Um, to get things expedited, whereas the supplier doesn't have that kind of pull and influence. Um, those are just the basic things versus the tools that are going to give you the algorithms that you can look at um, data. I've created, uh, our team is under me, has created a dashboard so we can go in and we can see real, red, yellow, green performance from schedules to cost to mm. deliveries to quality to, you know, all of these things, um, which enables us to also look ahead where there's yellow, what do you need to do to make it green? Mm. I like that. Um, so by extending kind of that forward-looking view from 30, 60, 90 to six months, uh, it seems like you're really pushing proactively some conversations that otherwise would have, would you know, as things come up, it'd give you less time to, um, you know, proactively solve or even react in some cases. Is that kind of what you're, you're seeing? Yes, for sure. And, and think about it in an industry right now, we know that um, electrical components, right, electronics, 
is a shortage in certain components. We know chemicals, there's a shortage going in certain of them. Um, and we know raw materials, um, there's a shortage. So how do you get ahead of that need and that shortage? Um, and sometimes it may mean buying material way in advance of need just to know that supplier has it on site, right? It's not a practice you want to use, but it's there if needed to mitigate the potential risks that exist. Mm. It, 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 it seems like uh, curveballs keep coming and, and new curveballs that we haven't seen before. And, 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 you know, I've heard it said that uh, risk management is supply chain management and, and vice versa. And, and there's a lot of truth it there. Really I've is. always thought. Um, okay. I, so I want to, I want to take the conversation broader, but before okay. we do, one of the things I haven't asked you about, you know, uh, our dear friend, mutual friend, Shan Cooper is who connect this. And I'm so grateful. I uh, really have enjoyed getting to know you better and, and now hearing kind of more of your your leadership POV and practitioner POV, but I understand y'all work together uh, at, yes. at Lockheed Martin. What was um, what was one of your favorite aspects to how you know Shan Cooper approached leadership or um, her role? What, what was one of your oh favorite things there? Shan is an example for so many things. As a leader, she treated everyone the same. She treated everyone fairly, regardless of age, color, background. She knew names, she knew backgrounds. She just was this very personable individual. And on type of on top of that, she's always values. Her values are important too. Her values come out in everything she does and says. And she just became a natural mentor for me. And I'll tell you, there was a point in time where public speaking was not my forte. And one of um, our uh, communication leads, she says, think of two people that you admire in how they speak and, you know, mirror them. And Shan was one of those people. And so she says, you know, develop this stage persona of who, you know, you want to be. And one was Janet Jackson and the other was Shane Cooper, right? And it was like, so my my uh, name was Shan Jackson. And when I come up on stage, it was like this personality. And Shan, she doesn't want a script. She just wants to be herself. And I find myself I'm more comfortable like that too. Uh, so I'll never forget when Shan left um, the Lockheed Martin Marietta location. And I mean, people were walking down the hall crying. Um, she got in her car and there was a string of people waiting. The fire truck came out. If you know, when they're retiring an aircraft, they do the water hose over right. the aircraft. They did that for Shannon. She was leaving. There was just, just this procession of people going out. And it's because she's just genuinely a kind person and that I admire and have always tried to mirror. Hey, I'm with you. Uh, you know, we, we got... Maybe we we might be second cousins or something. We have a lot of uh, of, of camaraderie, and uh, I, I, I'm the same way. I didn't, I'd never had a chance to work with uh, Shan Cooper, and I've kind of admired from afar as I've, I've seen her interactions and her keynotes. And then, and then we had a chance to work together as part of a um, uh, supply chain awards show just before the world changed. This is March 2020, and everything you describe, you know, she she was MC, but gosh, just genuine. The uh, you could tell that she she loved the interactions and, yes. and celebrating the good news and 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 accomplishments of others and yes. and just a, a rock and roll star um, on and she off really the stage. Is. So, um, so Shan, if you're listening, uh, two big fans, uh, two members of the Shan Cooper Fan Club Atlanta chapter, uh, right here, right here. Always, always. All right. So, okay. So shifting gears, I want to make sure I didn't forget that. Um, so shifting gears, going back to kind of what you know. 
trends, innovations, developments in the global business market. We've talked about a lot already, but what else, you know, is there another item or two that you're tracking more than others that you'd like to uh, share your POV around? So the big focus right now, obviously, is digital transformation, right? How do you, how do we change the way we do business? And I've seen so much transformation from when I started as a buyer. I mean, we did POs on carbon, right? And now everything is in the computer and you're attaching and you're doing those types of things um, and just getting a PO place. But it's also digital transformation in not how do we buy, right? It's not a traditional, you send me four volumes of bids um, and I'm going to go through all of this. It's now on computer if you, you submit as, as concise as possible. And we're seeing our customer do that in OTAs, right? Um, and so they want to be able to contract earlier, faster, you know, uh, less bureaucracy and those type of things. So we're having to adjust and be responsive to the customer. And then the other side, obviously, is digital transformation as it relates to, you know, how parts are made and how they're manufactured and how they're they're used. You know, we're doing 3D um, additive manufacturing versus the traditional, you know, milling and machines. And so it's the technology has to move with the times and um, we are responsive to that. And if anyone knows our um, CEO and president, Jim Takelet, he talks about 5G mail, right? We've got all these products from like, I, you can see in, in the picture from ships to aircraft, to helicopters, to, you know, the um, equipment on um, that the army uses to train. And so it's, how do you connect to all of these, right? So when you think about digital transformation, our future is connecting these products that enable our customer to utilize them from air, sea, and ground. Um, and that's just exciting stuff, right? It's, and I think about where I started to where we're going and it's mm. just truly exciting. Uh, completely agree. It's a special time to be in global business and supply chain. And uh, right now, despite all the, you know, the challenges and, and, and as we've talked about extensively and, and getting behind some of the efforts, we're trying to get the whole world into this post-pandemic environment, right? I, th- I think um, we're starting to see some better numbers in India, for example, which is is great news. Man, it's been heartbreaking some of the things there, but um, we're going to break through. We're going to break through, and 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 I think some of the silver linings is how uh, the world's gotten smaller in many ways, uh, thanks partially to technology. You know, you were talking a second ago. Um, you know, the empathy we have as colleagues and leaders and managers and just fellow, uh, fellow humans, you know, who cares if a cat walks in front of your conference call screen these days, you know, I couldn't believe we got so wound up about that a few years back. Um, (laughs) but one last question, and then we'll make sure we know, we let folks know how to connect with you is, um, with all of the technology that's permeating industry and certainly, you know, driving digital transformation across supply chain, do you think that will help? bring more people and more of the top talent into the industry. Do you think that's, that's going to be a, a nice equalizer? I hope so. And I think so. Um, you know, the, the times of everyone being in the same office in the same space is just passe. Um, I've got people, you know, in California that they were like, how soon should I move? And I was like, you don't have to move, stay where you are. Right. So it truly enables us to get talent as well as technology across the globe. 
Um, and we're excited, you know, what that brings to us uh, because there are people you're hearing more, right? I want to be near my parents. I need to be, my wife works here and we need to be here. The kids love the school they're in. You know, you're hearing all these things that the flexibility um, has become more important since the pandemic than any time before in my career. Um, and I'll tell you, and even having discussions with other companies, it's like, well, is it virtual? You know, do you have to be there? You know, it's it's just the, the sign of the times. And one I'm hearing in other industries also, it's not just A&D, right? It's um, just how can we be more flexible? There are some jobs that you're not going to be able to, obviously, manufacturing, classified environments, those type of things, right. where you're going to have to be there. Um, but everything else just gives you, opens up the bandwidth of talent that you can get around the world. And I'm, I'm so excited about that. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think um, it it uh, uh, expands the industry into, into new pools and with new ideas and, and different takes on, on the problems old, new that we see here today. And sure. more challenges will, will undoubtedly around the corner. So um, I'm looking forward to continuing for the supply chain industry to fight better and more, more effectively for the top talent across, across the globe. Okay. Well, Ingrid, we've really, we've covered so much ground, uh, but I know you stay really busy. I appreciate the time you've given us here today. Really have enjoyed it. Um, let's make sure that our listeners know how they can, they can reach out and compare notes or, or who knows, you may be doing a keynote or, or you, you name it, more interviews. How can folks connect with you? I think the easiest way is on LinkedIn. You know, Ingrid Kelly Sampson on LinkedIn is the easiest way. I see it constantly between putting things in and people contacting me um, is the best way. And I look forward to meeting new people and as well as learning what technology is out there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, uh, we'll make sure we make it really easy for our folks. We'll put that LinkedIn uh, link in the show notes. Uh, one click away is what we always shoot for, but a pleasure to meet. Uh, we've been talking with Ingrid Sampson, Director, Subcontract Program Management with Lockheed Martin. Really appreciate your time here, Ingrid. Thank you, Scott, for the opportunity to speak. You bet. Okay, so folks, hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. I uh, really have enjoyed getting to know um, and learn from Ingrid and, and and what she shared, not just here, but some of the, we really enjoyed the, the, the prep call conversations too. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to venture over to supplychainnow.com. Check out the wide range of interviews we offer. Find us wherever you get your podcast from. Hey, subscribe so you don't miss a single thing. We don't want to miss conversations like this one. And hey, by the way, uh, June is our big push for reviews and subscriptions. So reviews, your reviews will help us reach more people and share uh, POV like Ingrid's here today. So, but hey, most importantly, hey, most importantly, I uh, hope this finds you wherever, well wherever you are. Hey, but do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. Be just like Shan Cooper. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.